listening to Skylight, the Skylight Books podcast. Skylight Books is a general interest bookstore in the Los Feliz neighborhood in Los Angeles. You can shop with us from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. or visit us online 24-7 at skylightbooks.com. Follow along at Skylight Books Instagram and Twitter. You can subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Thank you for listening, and now on to the episode. Hello, lovely listeners, and welcome back to the Skylight Books podcast series. My name is Maddie Gobo, and I am the events manager here at Skylight Books in Los Angeles. We're an independent bookstore located in the Los Feliz neighborhood of LA. Um, We are full of all kinds of different books. We have a main store and an arts annex, so if you haven't checked us out, please come by. We would love to see you. We've missed you all so much. Um, We're getting ready to return to some kind of in-person programming um, in our store, so stay tuned to our social media at Skylight Books for the latest updates. We're hoping by fall we'll be able to welcome you all back into the store, but who knows what the world holds these days. It's a fun and funky um, crapshoot, so (laughs) we're here. Um, And today I'm really excited uh, for this conversation. We are hosting an assortment of fantastic writers who are all going to be talking about Life After the MFA. Um, This panel is co-hosted by UC Riverside's MFA program and it features Bridget Bianca, Kyle Raymond Fitzpatrick, Sarah Labrie, and Rax Will, aka Rachel Will. Um, I will give them their full introductions in just a moment, but um, we're going to be talking kind of about all things um, MFA and, you know, what you actually do with a Master of Fine Arts degree. Um, I happen to have a master of arts degree. I don't have the F. Uh, I, I am a master of course arts only. Um, so I'm excited to learn from these wonderful scholars and to hear about um, other career opportunities outside of the bookselling world that perhaps may be more lucrative. <laughs> um, and I'm so glad that you all are here with me today. So um, strap in and I'm going to introduce our guests. All right. Bridget Bianca is a poet and professor from South Central Los Angeles. She received her Bachelor of Arts in English from Howard University and her Master of Fine Arts in writing from Otis College of Art and Design. Her first book of poetry, Be Trouble, was released by Writ Large Press, The Accomplices, in February 2020. Bridget Bianca has been featured on several stages and events, including the LA Times Festival of Books, the World Stage, the Southern California Poetry Festival, Los Angeles Lit Crawl, the Table Lit, Lit Fest Pasadena, Rap Saloon, La Palabra at Avenue 50 Studios, Beyond Baroque, and Unfadeable. She is one half of the literary curating team, Making Room for Black Women, and hosts literary events around Southern California. Bridget Bianca's work as a writer and an educator seeks to serve the people and moments most forgotten or ignored. When she is not sharing her own poetry, she hosts two Instagram series, Young, Black, and Tenure Track, where she documents her experiences in higher education, and We Be Readin' Wednesdays, where she discusses her current reading obsession, romance novels. Oh, yes, steamy. I'm in. You can find her online at Bridget Bianca on Instagram and BridgetBianca.com. Next up, we have Kyle Raymond Fitzpatrick. Uh, He is a queer Latinx writer based in Los Angeles. His fiction has been published by the Los Angeles Review of Books, Cosmonauts Avenue, The Exposition Review, Queen Mobs, and more. 
His journalism has been published by Playboy, Eater, Pop Sugar, and Los Angeles Magazine. They studied fiction at Otis College of Art and Design's MFA program. He loves dogs, pet knot, and short shorts. I'm gonna to have to ask you what that is, pet knot. I have undoubtedly mispronounced it. <laughs> I love a challenge in a bio though, you know? All right, and next up we have Sarah Labrie. Sarah Labrie is a writer who has written for Love, Victor on Hulu, and Made for Love on HBO Max. She's also written librettos for work that has been performed at Walt Disney Concert Hall by the Los Angeles Master Chorale. Her fiction and essays appear in Guernica and the Los Angeles Review of Books, among other pub publications. She completed her MFA in fiction at NYU. And last up, we have Rachel Will who's a graduate of UC Riverside's MFA in Fiction with words in the New York Times, Los Angeles Times, LA Review of Books, Pop, Sugar, and Into. They are currently at work on a queer coming out novel set in Los Angeles. I heard a little bit about it last week. It sounds amazing. I'm very excited to read it someday. You can follow them on Instagram at Existential Rodeo. All right, Bridget, Kyle, Sarah, Rachel, welcome to the program. I'm so happy to have you today. Um, Rachel, I'm gonna hand it over to you and uh, Let's get this conversation started. Thank you so much, Maddie. Can I just say that you have an amazing radio voice? Like, <laughs> how did I not know this? It's perfect, it's soothing. It makes me wanna keep listening. So thank you for those beautiful introductions. Thank you so much for the compliments. Yes, and welcome everyone else. We're so excited to have you here. So um, thanks for being a part of this podcast. Today's subject is I graduated with an MFA, now what? Which I think is a pretty relatable quandary for many recent grads. Our focus today is career planning for those with an MFA on their CV. I wanna preface this talk by saying there is no such thing as a bad job when you're just trying to write and live your truth. What is bad is capitalism making us work to exhaustion to survive and feel validated. So boo capitalism and yay jobs that allow us to write. My first job was babysitting for rich white people, which I actually wrote about in my personal statement for undergrad, which goes to so show you that even if you have a ho-hum job, that doesn't disqualify you from mining the experience and making it work for your career. So to kick off this podcast, I'd like to ask our panel, when and where did you attend your MFA, your genre, and just a little bit about your experience in the program? And we'll start off with Bridget. Oh my goodness. I love your whole hum job. Wait until you hear mine. Um, so, <laughs> Second question. so get it ready. Yeah. So I attended Otis College of Art and Design for my MFA in writing with a focus in poetry. Um, and my experience was pretty interesting. I didn't know anything about the MFA. I'm sure most folks out there listening may already know a lot about it. But for me, I thought I was going to go to a doctoral program. So I had a whole different life ahead of me. And then someone said, you can teach at the community college if you get an MFA and I was like, okay, where can I go? Show me the place. I found the place, I went there, had no idea what I was doing there. So that was my MFA experience and being one of the few, very few students of color at Otis and in the MFA program, it was quite the culture shock for a kid from South Central who just graduated from the HBCU. So um, my MFA experience is pretty, it was something, I'll say that, it was something. We'll probably talk more about that. We'll get into it for sure. And Sarah, I'll pass it to you next. Okay, I went to NYU. Um, I was fiction and I had a really sort of traditional experience. I think I kind of went in wanting to work with kind of the big name authors who are in faculty there and I got to and they were as impressive as expected. And, you know, I got kind of everything I wanted out of it. Um, but I think the things that really, 
ended up kind of being a great jumping off point for afterwards where like one, I got to intern at the New Yorker and it wasn't so much just like sitting in a cubicle at the New Yorker that was helpful, but the fact that like I had to read literary magazines all day long to, um, cause I was supposed to be like scouting for fiction. I don't know, I wasn't doing anything, <laughs> but like just reading the slush pile and like reading those journals when I left the MFA, I kept reading the same journals and I had like discovered all of these incredible literary journals. And I think that helped my writing more than anything. Um, and then also getting to, as part of my fellowship to go there, I taught second and fifth graders at New York public schools. And it was just such an incredible experience. And I got, I learned more about New York through doing that than any other aspect of the program, so. Amazing. And I love to ask a little bit more about the fellowship um, as it does relate to the career. And Kyle, we'll um, head to you next. Yeah. So I also went to Otis College of Art and Design. I graduated in 2019, I believe. Um, I will echo Bridget and say it was an interesting experience, but I, I had a very um, almost utilitarian reason to go to grad school. Like I think I was going in because I had hit the ceilings of um, sort of continuing education programs and extension programs. And it was one of those, like, I'm not, I'm, I've reached a limit here and I need to do more because I want to learn the book form. And I don't know how to do that on my own. And I wanted to take it seriously. It was kind of a commitment to myself, whatever, whatever. And I did the program and I got that. I also was able to finish a manuscript, which is also the other goal that I had and I was doing, um, I studied creative writing and focused on fiction, literary fiction. Um, yeah, it was, it was, again, a utilitarian experience. I was going in for one specific reason. I wanted to learn about the field and finish my book. Anything else was gravy, unless it was really bad, but it was mostly net positive, net neutral almost. I <laughs> Um, our next question was, or is, what was your first job out of the MFA? And I think Sarah had a, a very interesting one. Um, if you want to kick this off, Sarah. Yeah, so I just out of necessity, like needing a job, applied on UCLA's website for a communications job in the development office. Um, I don't even think I knew what I was applying for because the <laughs> portal is very confusing, but I got a call. And I went in and um, I was basically writing thank you letters to donors who gave gifts to the school of $10,000 and above. And it was like a soul deadening job, but I was very upfront when I was interviewing, um, when I got the job that I wanted to be a writer, that this was not like my long-term career goal. And I think my bosses really appreciated that. And so I was able to sort of, as long as I got my 10 letters done a day or whatever, I could write at my cubicle, I could read at my cubicle, I could use the printer, like there was a lot. Um, I do really recommend like major university jobs if you can get them because the benefits are amazing. Um, there's usually a gym, there's printer paper that you can steal and nobody looks <laughs> like it's, um, so I would just like that um, literally just came about because I was like, I gotta pay my rent but I wanna be able to keep writing. So what can I do? Awesome. Thank you. Bridget? So throughout graduate school and after graduate school, I worked retail full time for a very long time before, even before I started teaching really heavily, I was always 
my real job was retail. And so I learned the most about how to talk to people, how to communicate. My performance style comes from working retail and talking, you know, very loudly across a crowded whatever store I worked in at the time. So uh, retail was big for me as far as fundamentally teaching me how to be just a better speaker and storyteller, because honestly, you got to sell those clothes. And so you got to whip that story together and, and get their emotions pulled in and make them love you. And poetry performances are half about making them fall in love with you and then also breaking their hearts. So um, I learned a lot through retail. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, so my next question, I once had a mentor or I asked a mentor how to balance work with writing and they straight up told me write on the job. So my question for you all is, uh, does this advice resonate with you or not? And we'll start with Kyle. I would say yes, because I, even before I was, I went to grad school, like I was writing and I, for a very long time, I worked in Hollywood and it for various digital sort of outlets as a journalist, whatever, whatever. And I, how I got into writing was writing on the side. I had a blog that I was doing on the side while working various jobs in production and that really took off. And that was one thing that sort of like school of writing for yourself and writing online and writing on the side was really what sort of built my practice. And like, even when I was in grad school, I continued to do journalism and to run my own blog and do that sort of thing on the side and that that having that I think really keeps that sort of um, identity as a writer front and center because the minute that sort of disappears like you know you're you're losing yourself in a way in your practice. Thank you and we'll pass this one to Bridget as Sarah has spoken to writing on the job. For me it was tough to write on the job because you're so active when you're teaching and retail is just a life sucks, so you can't really do anything else, but it became easier to write once I was able to get a full-time teaching position. And then I didn't have to worry about the hustle of everything else. Like, oh, my bills are paid. Now I can focus on poetry. And so for me, that was like, oh my gosh. And that just happened 2017. That was not an early thing. I worked for a long time, barely writing, not making time for it. And then I told myself, well, you're always writing, even if you're not physically doing the act. If you're thinking, taking notes, if it's on your mind, then you're always writing. That kind of like pacified me for a while <laughs> until the actual writing could actually happen. And that was just a few years ago, which is great because I got a book out of it. So, hey, I'll, I'll take it. Huge congrats, huge congrats. Um, I would now love to ask what everyone's current job is and how did you get it? So any tips that you can share with recent graduates, ways that you sold yourself with an MFA on your CV, I'm all ears and we'll start with Sarah. Um. Yeah, I mean, I right now I'm a TV writer and I've been doing that uh, pretty much fully since 2019. Um, and I'm working on a show for Disney Plus right now. But up to now, I was, I taught, I uh, facilitated book clubs, you know, I did anything that um, anyone would pay me to do. Um, I guess the two best pieces of advice I, got um were one when I like Kyle basically when I was leaving college I or no um like you Rachel um when I was leaving college I emailed a person who'd graduated from my school and was a novelist and I was like what do I do how do I do this and she was like get a job where you can write on the job and focus on that and I always always did that 
um, I never stopped writing. And I've always been like fairly careerist just because I have no safety net. So there was no going home, you know? So I, I would make sure that I had uh, up-to-date writing samples. You know, I wasn't just writing fiction. I was writing, uh, I was freelancing, I was doing journalism. I was doing content creation. I was doing like PR or freelancing stuff just so that I always had a sample ready to go if there was a paying job. Um, and then the other really good advice I got that I think really helped me was um, wake up, make coffee, start writing every single day. And I did that for a really long time. I would wake up at 5 a.m. and I would write. Um, and I produced a lot of work just by following that, that mantra basically every day. And that was a tweet, <laughs> so. The many gems that we can come, come across on Twitter, the many um, evil haunting things that we can find on Twitter. May they all be gems like that, Sarah. Um, Kyle, what are you up to currently? So I am currently working as a copywriter at a really fabulous little agency called XX Artists, um, which is, I, I mean, they don't know, this has been almost a year since I've been doing it, but like, I've never had a job as a copywriter. I, when I applied, I thought it was a copy editing job and I was so scared because copy editing to me is horrifying because it's just like being sort of responsible for the nuts and bolts and mechanics of writing, which just scares me because I know that, you know, I remember being in grad school and be like, I want to study the basics of grammar. And they were like, no, you got it. I was like, no, I don't think I do. Anyway, um, so I do that. But how I got there is, again, I think just from having a sort of grasp of writing, which the MFA helped with, but like they didn't know hiring me that I had an MFA like that was kind of irrelevant it was sort of the the sort of having writing out in the world and having those receipts of like you know people know me as a writer and like know that I can do this and that really took took me a lot of places and it really outside of school and even before school um and sustaining through school was what sort of kept me going in that when I was leaving school and even like in the few months before there, I was starting to look and do the sort of talking to friends, networking, et cetera, from people before and people I've met during and cold calling. And I got a bunch of like weird, like gigs for startups. Like I was writing um, a podcast about like marijuana legalization. And then I was helping someone like write like a sort of visual course about like small businesses. I was doing a bunch of random things that paid well, but were like easy and sort of writerly stuff that people don't do. And then I was able to get a like full-time producing job from an old thing, which sort of like sucked up all of my time time to the job job. But I was able to still keep pitching stories, still do my blogs, still work on my book. like. I was able to work on that on the side, um, but yeah, it all sort of looped back around to writing, which I'm doing now. And once I will also say this too, like the place I'm at now, and if any if writers can get a job where people are just impressed by your craft, it is a life changer. Like I've never worked at a job where people are like, "You are a writer, and you are so good at it," and I'm like, "Me." you pay me to do that? It's wild. So like that you, everybody think will have that experience at some point if you haven't had it already, but like it is strange and rewarding, whatever, whatever. <laughs> yes, you. Um, 
And one of Kyle's core activities of their job is tweeting. So continue to bless the timeline, King. Thank you. Trying. <laughs> and Bridget, we'll pass it to you next. So I am, as of like two weeks ago, a tenured professor. Uh, I teach, Yay! thank you. I teach Hi. English, comp, literature, and just recently creative writing. So I pretty much kept my poetry separate from my professorship for a long time because when you do things in service to the college, it becomes like your whole life. Like everything you do is for the college and everything you do is to move up in that world. And for my particular experiences, becoming a professor had nothing to do with my personal writing ability, which was all good for me because it gave me a chance to just write poetry the way I liked it, talking about the things I want to talk about and not worried about, will the college like it? We've seen in the news how colleges feel about professors who do things that they don't think will do well with the public, their whatever, and the donors, whatever. So it was great to have that separate. Just recently, the two things are starting to collide a bit more. And I'm okay with that, I'll say, because the diversity and things that I talk about in my classroom, they're mirrored in my work. And so I don't mind. Like the work that I'm doing to make sure I teach, you know, black and brown writers, that work is what I do in my personal poetry too. So why not do that, you know, in the classroom? But yeah, being a teacher, it takes some time. I wish it was easier. Uh, for everyone involved. But for me, it seemed to happen really quickly. I became a teacher my second year at Otis. Um, and that was like by surprise for probably most people there seeing me like, what are you doing? What? You're a student still. Like, yeah. And I'm also your colleague, um, which, you know, was delightful to say the least. And for like the next seven or eight years, I was there just teaching and hustling and teaching every class I could. And so when I left to go to a community college, which was my excellent, like my big goal, like community college, teaching, um, I knew I'd like arrived and then they could care less, couldn't care less about poetry at all, right? They're like, oh, you can teach composition? Yes, here's the handbook. So, um, but now I get a chance to be on the inside and change what literature looks like to this new generation of students coming in so that they can read people who look like me, who look like Kyle, look like Sarah, look like Rax, look like all of us. And that way they're not limited to just the same old fogies that I saw when I was in, you know, undergrad and graduate school. So, you, you know. Uh, that's what I do right now. And then write poetry and perform it and just be loud across Zoom and stages all over the place when I can. We love to hear it. And uh, Maddie, did you catch that? Um, Bridget cut out slightly um, during that last response. Are we okay? I think we're fine. Bridget, I think it's it's just your Wi-Fi is a little bit laggy, but um, I, I, I think we can edit that out. So yeah. Okay. I, I took a note for our editors. Continue. Cool. Let me know. I can always re-record it later and send y'all something if you need to. I think you're good. Awesome. Okay. Next question. How does your current career align or not align with your writing? And we'll start with Sarah. I think it aligns really incredibly well. I feel really lucky um, because it takes all the same muscles as creative writing and all the same imaginative power and, um, you know, a lot of the shows I've read, I've written on are literary adaptations and either the author is in the room or the showrunner is extremely bookish and it helps a lot to have come from a fiction background and to be able to like meet them on that level. People really appreciate that because there aren't a ton of people in Hollywood who actually read fiction. <laughs> so it makes you a real commodity, which I had no idea. Um, 
Yeah, and then I think the collaborative aspect is the thing that's slightly different from sort of being alone in your room writing a novel, but it's it's way better because you're not so lonely all the time. Um, so I am definitely able to like bring over the skills that I spent the last 10 years developing into my job now. Amazing. And Sarah, I just wanted to say I'm loving Made for Love. I read the book first and I'm watching the show. So huge congrats. And I think Kyle also watched Made for Love. I didn't watch it. I read it. And you I read it. Okay. Well, you recommend it. it to me. I have been meaning to watch it. I've heard amazing uh, things. It's so weird. It is so weird and so good. And just probably the strangest thing I've ever seen on TV. Um, but it, it was so fun to create. The author was in the room and she is just a star. So it was, that was my first writer's room ever. It was incredible. Awesome, huge fan. And we'll pass it to Bridget. It aligns so well now. I feel like I've written more in these past few years than I've written ever before. Um, when I think about writing and the function of it, it, it really lines up with teaching a lot. Like I'm all about canon building. Well, actually about destroying the current canon, like completely just obliterating that thing if I can, and then reseeding the land, right? Like giving new things. And I think of my writing as that like thrust of resistance, like, hey, here's the new stuff. And then also then my research and teaching and what I decide to curate for people and show them that also reshapes literature, it reshapes nonfiction, it reshapes media, how we talk about media um, of all kinds. So they definitely line up. I haven't gotten to the place yet where I'm like, oh yes, and my book can also be taught to people though it is. So it does fit in academia in some places, which is kind of weird. To be honest, I've been seeing some student essays and I'm like, what is happening? Um, but I like the idea of being a, the kind of writer that will break open something one day for students. And they can be in a community college classroom like mine and say, oh, that lady, she sounds like my mom or she looks like me or she writes about the kind of things that I grew up seeing or whatever the case is. So yeah, my writing and my teaching practice, they are perfectly aligned these days. We love to hear it. That's amazing. Kyle, how about you? Um, so yes, short answer is yes, that like, it's, I'm very hashtag blessed that my job is like, it's such a different type of writing from what I, from what I do in my sort of practice. Like I, my job is largely, you know, writing tweets, writing Instagram captions, helping to sort of shape voices for, um, brands online and how, how they can speak and communicate and on different platforms and really sort of using literary thinking for digital cultures and brands and sort of communication at large, which is fun and exciting. And because it is so different, I'm able to really unplug before and after work to sort of really shift gears and get sort of the creative things out of the way. And even when, you know, I'm writing tweets, I'm able to bring that sort of creative thinking and apply it to the internet and really rethink form and all that sort of stuff, which then feeds into my own writing in a way and starting to like rethink and question forms and subjects and that sort of stuff too. So it's an interesting dynamic. I think the thing that's also I'm realizing is, is a fun aspect of this independent of say the job per se is that like, you know, to be a writer, I think, and to be, you know, a writer who sort of pursued certain education and has been around for a period of time, like, it's also about sort of giving back. And I think, you know, I think Bridget 
great examples of just like teaching and questioning the canon. And I, I'm not a teacher, but like I definitely, even within my own company and outside of the company with people I know, with people I've met through mentorships, um, I make sure to sort of share that wealth and like teach and share the sort of the knowledge of writing so that more people can do it. Cause it seems really scary or weird or like, I can't do this or nebulous. And so I think that that's really important to sort of like break it down and, and spread those seeds like Bridget said, because otherwise like you're not gonna get more people in the room. People are gonna feel isolated or that they have to go to an MFA program, which I don't think you have to. So like that I think is really important to break down and I make sure at my job and outside of my job to really welcome people in and be like, oh, you're right, that's so cool. And then be like, oh yeah, you can do it too. Like, how can I help you? Because I, I am not on a pedestal and I never wanna be on one. <laughs> Amazing, Kyle, that actually prompted a question I did not have in the bank, but did either any of you need an MFA to do what you're currently doing for your work? and feel free to chime in. I will hop in and say, absolutely not. None of my jobs, either in TV, journalism, copywriting, various like startup-y things, no, nobody has cared about the MFA. Not that it's about the school or not. Like, I think, again, it's about like doing things consistently and really just showing your work. Like, I will tell you that like, having a blog that, and I, my blog is quite dormant, but I have a very active newsletter um, that like having something that you can show people, like show editors, like, hey, here's, I'm pitching this story, here's my blog. And they can see five stories posted a day or a week. They know you can write shit and you can do it. And they can figure out like, oh, that makes sense for me and my website or my whatever. That is arguably, more important in a way for the sort of job of it all. But like, it depends on what you want. Like I needed to learn how to write a book and write fiction. So that's why I went to an MFA program. Yeah, well, the MFA for me was the degree itself, maybe not an MFA particularly, but I needed a degree in higher education to become a professor. The MFA when it comes to professorship is normally ignored because people assume you're gonna be a doctor, right? You must be a doctor to be a professor. But of course that takes a lot longer while people were getting their doctorates, no shade to them, I was already teaching. So I didn't have to think about that. Like I was, I was paying my bills, which is their business and in, in, in mine. Um, I will say though, that as a poet, the MFA really made no difference in my poetry at all. I will say um, what I wrote when I was in my MFA program, I do not write now. And I wrote it more so because it was like, okay, here's the exercise of being in a creative writing program and figuring out how to write whatever it is people think we should be writing aesthetically out of this program. And I did some good stuff. I think it was great, but it wasn't me in the end. And so when I got back to writing um, and got, got back to really getting into what I love about poetry, it ended up looking a lot more like what I wrote before MFA than it did what I wrote in MFA. Um, but the teaching, yeah, I needed the MFA program just for the credentialing, to be honest. The opportunity to be a teacher's assistant and get that training and then to get into the classroom, I wouldn't have gotten that if I wasn't in a grad program, but I, I won't say that there's anything particular specific about being an MFA that made either of those two things easier. They were just steps to me kind of moving and learning more about myself as an educator and like really deciding like, what do I want to do? I want to teach, but also I'm never gonna stop writing poetry. And so what has to happen so that I can write the kind of poetry I like and like shed the other stuff. And so um, that, that's my MFA story. Thank you. Yeah. And Sarah? I, 
Yes, like for me, but no, nobody needs an MFA in fiction to be a television writer. I mean, an MFA in film or TV writing would clearly be much more helpful, but having, because I tend to be extremely competitive going to an MFA program in New York with a bunch of like extremely privileged, extremely talented kids who were already, you know, had full novel manuscripts, had worked with insane people. Like I needed that because I don't know, I can't, you know, I came from Texas. There wasn't like a huge creative writing tradition in Houston. I don't know that I would have learned how to take myself seriously as a writer if I hadn't been sort of pushing to keep up with these people who I otherwise would never have met. Um, and then like being like my professors were like, Zadie Smith and Jonathan Zafran Foer and Lori Moore and like seeing those people and just being like, okay, well, they're just human beings who just work really hard. All I have to do is build up my stamina. That's it. You know, just don't give up. Um, that's why I am anywhere today, you know, but other people could get there in another way. But I would never tell anyone not to get an MFA. I would just say, don't pay for it. Don't go into debt for it. Thank you. So you all have full-time jobs. My question is, how do you balance your writing life with a full-time job? And this is, we'll start with Bridget. <laughs> well, I will say I thought I didn't have a writing process because I didn't have the kind that people talk about where they say like, you know, I wake up at five o'clock in the morning and I write and then I drink tea and watch the sunrise and then I write and then whatever. I don't have that. I wake up just in time for work. I get into traffic. I go to work. I get out of traffic. I come home. I read a romance novel and then I write and maybe go to sleep. So my writing, um, it, 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 it works really well for me. I'll say, I don't think it'll work for everyone else, but I really enjoy the idea of reading first and letting reading kind of open you up and like make that transition from teaching to reading or whatever you've been doing while you're working full time. Like that, that, that little break of like, I'm not doing that other work anymore. Now I'm doing this. And so reading is a great break in romance novels in particular because I don't teach romance novels yet. Maybe one day class coming soon, but for right now I don't. And so I don't have to worry about, oh, I'm reading this novel because I might actually teach this kind of character point of view in the class one day. Like all that stuff that I normally do when I'm reading, it just goes out and I'm just like, give me the meet cute, the hot stuff. Yes, wonderful. Now I'm gonna write a poem about social justice issues and black womanhood and you know, critical race theory people being mad at me for like I'm I'm ready to get into the mean stuff now because I've gotten all my lovey dovey stuff out with romance novels. So um, definitely teaching full time does not leave a lot of room for that, but I make room for it because I have to to survive. Literally. Beautiful. Thank you so much, uh, Kyle. You want to take this one next? Yes. So I have a very sort of like I kind of the opposite of Bridget, um, where it's I had a dog that would wake up at like 6 a.m. And that really trained me to like get up early, like can't sleep in or like, this isn't TMI, but like she's gonna piss on the ground unless I take her out. So like that really taught me to like get up early and especially now or whenever, like having that sort of early rising tendency, I was able to get in two, three hours of writing before going to work and like that I, I've, I've realized I've thought it but like you know I'm sharpest in the morning like I just I it's it never had trouble with output or anything but I definitely you know 
have tried different schedules over the years and I've just discovered like I got to wake up and write and then anyway so I get it all out of the way probably for two to three hours in the morning and then I just work and then at night I will like do some sort of alternative writing if let's say I have to write an article for somebody or a blog post or my newsletter or something like I do all that sort of like for lack of better words mindless writing at night but the morning is for the creative writing for the working on fiction the short stories and novels like that sort of stuff because if I don't do in the morning then like my brain is going to be preoccupied with stuff the one thing that I will say that has suffered that I I'm having a little bit of a struggle with. Um, and I think the past year and the goings on of the past year has contributed to it. But like reading has really suffered. My reading life, like literally using my eyes to read really has taken a hit. And I just find it so difficult to find the time to sit down and read with my eyes, literally. But like, I'm always reading on audiobooks. I bike around the city. I walk my dogs and like to take a walk in the morning and I'm always listening to a book when I'm cleaning, whatever, whatever, like audiobooks have saved my life and the library. But like sitting down and reading with my eyes has been so difficult to find that time. <laughs> I similarly have the same problem. There's like a huge stack of books, including some that you gave me, Kyle, um, that I had to kind of just like retire from my bedside table because it just wasn't going to happen. I'm just terrible at reading right now. So I empathize. <laughs> Sarah, how about you? I write uh, prose on the weekends and usually during the week I have to kind of um, organize my schedule around the room because there's a lot of time pressure and people are depending on you to get outlines in and um, you have meetings and you have to pitch and so you kind of can't. It takes such so much of you. It is it's kind of everything. That's all I really have to give during the week. And then usually on the weekends, I'll try to just do like 12 hour stents. I'll just sprint. I'll just write all day. Um, I'm working on a book right now. And generally I like go really, really hard, like obsessively. And then I just crash and I take a week of just sleeping <laughs> and then I start again. So I'm, I'm pretty exhausted all the time, but feeling good about my productivity. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you, Sarah. Um, my next question is, how did the geographic location of the MFA contribute to your career search? And we'll start with our only New Yorker, Sarah. Um, I knew I was going to move back to LA after NYU when I accepted. I literally moved back the day I got my degree. I, I mean, New York is fine. It's fine, but like I live in LA and LA is my home. Um, I think people here are kind of maybe sometimes like vaguely impressed by NYU as a literary place and having an MFA from there because that's where the industry is. So I think sort of in, in meetings, maybe it's helpful. And a lot of people here in the film industry went to NYU, but um, you know, and I worked at the New Yorker and there are lots of book people there, but that ultimately was not, it's, it was great, but I also could have gone somewhere here. You know, I don't think I got some like amazing advantage by being in New York just because I didn't stay there. I think, I think it's better to get your MFA where you want to live. Great advice. Kyle, anything further? Um, I, yeah, so I, it's interesting because I am like 
I've, my, I come from a mil military family background, so I lived all over the place. And LA, as long as I've lived in a city, I love LA. I've literally had a website for years about LA love that took me a lot of places. But um, my thing when I was looking for an MFA, I was like, I can't, I'm not moving. Like, I'm not going anywhere. Like, and I also, like, because I bike and I take the bus, I was like, I'm not, I can't, I'm not going to drive an hour. Like, you're, you're out of your mind. Like, I'm not going to, like, kick the earth for two years. Anyway, um, so my options are somewhat limited. And truthfully, like, I only really got into one-ish place. And I was like, I'm going with it. Because I didn't really want, no, I did get into, like, a low residency program. But the thing was, like, you know, can't, do I have the stamina or, like, self-discipline or whatever you want to call it to do that? Or, like, should I go full time? And my thing was like, full. I need to like be steeped in it. Otherwise, I think it's going to just roll off and run away from me and be a waste of time. So that was a big thing was I didn't want to leave the city. And I think to that, the thing that I found with it and other programs maybe, might be like this, it might have been because it was an art school. I have no idea. But the thing that I appreciated was that like writing wasn't precious. Like it was very much like, you know, it's something that you do and like whether one person reads it or 1 million people read it like is irrelevant like as long as you are nourished by that that's what matters and like I don't know if other schools do that that to me feels very LA um, in that it's so sort of zen and like it's more about you and sharing than it being like about say profit or this or that. Like granted, I'm probably one of the only people in the program is like, no, 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 I'm writing this so I can, I can sell it. Like I, like, I'm not, I don't want to participate in capitalism that much, but like, I'm not doing this just for fun. Like I, I want to be paid for my time and pay off this fucking education anyway. But yeah, um, I think it kind of LA MFA programs or LA area MFA programs kind of give you an ease, which I think is nice. Uh, I'd agree with that. So for me, I picked uh, Otis over a, a low res myself because it's literally down the street from the mall that I worked at. So it was be easy for me without a car at the time to get to. I got a car right before, so I was so grateful to save myself. Whatever habit I would have to develop to get over there um, at 7 p.m. Uh, but it was really close. I could get there quickly. And I also didn't want to leave LA. I just come back from living in DC to go to Howard University. I've been home for a year working retail. So I had my whole like life ready to be in LA forever again. And um, I didn't want to leave. And I also didn't want to like Kyle test my um, sustainability when it came to managing myself in a low res program. And I wanted the opportunity to be in a classroom with students. And so I knew I could be a TA. I was like, oh great. Like I got to go to this school. But I was also, I wish we'd had like the competitive feeling of like New York, like what Sarah was talking about. Like, you know, give me a little pressure because everyone was like, yeah, we're just writing and I love it. I retired from this job and now I write poetry and I just want to give it a shot. And I was like, I got to get this degree so I can become a teacher and so I can do this and I can do that. Like I had all these big plans to survive capitalism with this degree and everyone else was like, no, we're just right. I'm just working on my second manuscript. And I was like, I don't, I have, 10 poems. So, so I think LA was great for that. If you wanted to kind of like slow it down a bit, 
figure it out. And then there's a great LA lit scene here for everybody. So if you really want to be involved in, especially for me, like poetry, there's so many spaces to look and find and stumble into. And so being in LA was great for that. But I do wish we had more of the hustle bustle. But I think there are a lot of colleges in the LA general area that will probably give you that if they're attached to a major university. Like, you know, if you want to go a little bit further out to UCR, it's a bigger university. You want to go to Cal State Long Beach, bigger university, like these university spaces might give that. But for a small art college, I only had 1,200 students when I was there. Um, but to be at a small art college, I only had about 1,200 students. The hustle was not there for us. The people in digital media, they were hustling and sweating and, and crying. We were just moseying in with our coffee, writing poetry, really happy and leaving. And I think that did benefit me some in some ways. So yeah, LA was a cool place to get the MFA, but I would love to see what it looks like in a bustling, you know, get your act together kind of place, you know, eat or die. Well, live or be eaten is really, the, <laughs> I wish we kind of had that feeling. Maybe that hustle would have done something different for me too on the writing side. I will, I will also add to that since we had, we went to the same grad program, is that like, I, I didn't necessarily want the hustle, which I was like, I'm just popping in and out. But I did know that like one thing that I wanted was actually to, again, like to be able to be in dialogue with the larger literary community or something. And I think, you know, Otis, I got what I needed out of it, but it's also, it's a, the school is literally right by LAX. So like it is, even though it was a cute little bubble of literary Los Angeles, like it is so far that like, it's almost impossible for there to be a community because you mentioned how far it is. People are gonna be like, oh no, I'm not gonna come to your reading because it's so far. But like that was the thing I think from that was like, if I'm doing this, I need to look out for and pursue those sort of literary things. And before a year ago, I was, I felt like I was on a good track, blah, 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 regardless. Like I think a good thing that I did and amongst other things was uh, doing stuff with the Los Angeles Review of Books, which is how I met both Rax and Sarah. And that I think, even though it wasn't necessarily, you know, hustly, bustly, that sort of thing, but it, it puts you in a position to be amongst writers from all different worlds who are trying to do something in the world. And that sort of like raises your own volume and pushes you to do more because it's not about just the school anymore. It's not about this little, cute art school by LAX is about like, no, now you're like in dialogue with the world and the city and you're trying to do something bigger and think bigger with other people. And I thought that was really valuable. And yeah, I think, I th think if you want to sort of do more, you got to find that, find those places to get that hustle feeling because it will propel you. And I know Bridget, you also do that in your own way too. Like, I think that that's important. If you're not getting that from your school, you got to find it because if you don't want to be laid back, you got to do it yourself. Right. I think just to, to piggyback off what you said, if you if you're not from the place that your MFA is in and you're kind of like, well, where are the where are the people who are doing what I like to do? Like, what's going on? They are there. Like, I promise. I promise they are there. So they're also looking for you. So just like put out a feeler like there was there were no black poets invited to speak at Otis when I was there. None. OK. Um, later, yes, by the time Kyle got there, they were very diverse. And I was like, oh, I'm coming to the events now because I want to see them. Um, and so because I was looking for Black poets, then I found some. 
right? But that wasn't because the program just gifted me like this great collection and to no follow their own or maybe some follow their own, I don't know. But the idea was that they didn't know I needed it. So I had to search it out for myself. And so no matter where you are, small town, there's a program in like an Amish country, wherever you are, look for the people, find them, seek them out, form a collective online, whatever it is. Geographically, you can really do almost anything, like almost anything you can do. I mean, I, I I don't even know how to say it. I have people who reach out to me who are like in Minnesota and I'm like, you can do performance poetry in Minnesota. People will come. Just find the coffee shop, find the corner, find the really nice lady who won't call the police on you for having a mic outside of her store. You go do it there and people will come and hear you. Beautiful. And I'll pass the same question to Sarah. This is actually one of my prepared questions, but how are you building community, right? Whether it be writing community, professional community, post MFA? That's funny. I just um, was talking to a different sort of artist group about this. And it, and I said that generally with fiction, I found community kind of on the page with other authors, like reading books or going to um, readings. And I didn't necessarily have to know the person reading it. It was enough to kind of be part of their work or to experience them through their work. And I'm an only child. I've always been kind of like a uh, and okay being alone in a room for long periods of time. Um, so that I think was my MO in fiction, but you know, thinking about it now and listening to you guys talk about it, it's also like everything I've ever accomplished, everything I've ever written, everything I've ever published has been because of my friends. It's been because my friends started a blog and you know, right when I got out of college and let me write for it for free. And then I had writing samples and then that led to jobs. And it's just, I, and that led to also like feedback from people in the world who were like, Hey, you're good at this. Keep going. I mean, I got into TV because a friend who's a lawyer was like, you need to make slightly more money than you're making now. <laughs> like just try writing a pilot. My husband's an agent. Maybe he can help you just over brunch. Like she felt sorry for me. And that I, I, I wouldn't be anywhere without that community that I think I cultivated um, inadvertently over the decade plus that I've been in LA. Um, but sorry, sir, I think you just like absolutely just like rocked my brain right now. Like your friend told you to just write a pilot. My husband's an agent. Can you just tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, no, so this was my very, okay. My very first job out of college was at a, as an assistant at an entertainment agency. And this was actually a job that I had gotten through a friend. I knew I wanted to live in LA. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I had this scholarship to go to college and a girl in the scholarship program who's a little bit older than me, basically just like mentored me into the job that she was leaving. So there were a lot of very entertainment, like executive focused people at that job. And I was only there for a year and a half, but I made some of my best friends there. and one of them seven or eight years later after I got my MFA. Um, you know, she's always been incredibly supportive, had always read my fiction, but she was a mergers and acquisitions lawyer. Her husband was a successful agent. And I think she just was like, how are you alive? Like, how do you live in LA on the $10,000 a year you're making? And I was like, I'm fine, this is great. But she um, was kind of just like, look, you have, I had an interesting pitch and I had a novel that I had written out of it and, um, it was kind of that. And then my husband's a director and he had a manager who was has a manager who was like, if you ever write a pilot, I'm happy to read it. Like it was just sort of being in this world of people in the industry. 
um, and knowing that there would at least be someone to hand the pilot off to. And then the timing just worked out really well. But I had, I didn't move back to LA with any intention of um, going into TV. I thought I was gonna write for the New Yorker and the Paris Review and, and have this very literary, very sort of poverty stricken, but very happy and creative life. But, you know, I was fine with that. Amazing. May we all do the same. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What creative works are you most proud of post MFA? And this doesn't have to be prose or poetry. Kai, I mean, I know Kyle has a little baby manuscript. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. Well, I mean, like I, yes. So I, it's a tough question because I feel like there, I don't know. I, I it's, it really, I hate this phrase, but I think it's true is like, they're all my babies and I love them all enough but um yeah but so coming out of grad school I had a finished manuscript it needed some work or some valid notes that I got from my professors and I was able to edit it and get it into a good place I literally spent until the beginning of 2020 like finishing it and then I started querying and then all if that's a nightmare that I will regale somebody with later but the beginning of this year I was able to start talking to an agent and get an agent and now the book is going to be hopefully going into the world at some point. Uh, I don't know, like we'll probably be moving on into talking to publishers late in the summer. So that I'm really excited about. And I think I'm even more excited about the next project because, you know, when you work on something for, I started working on the book that is now starting to go places in like 2014, 2015. And it's like, I am, it, it's like being like, being in the hospital, I have never given birth, but it feels like you're just in the hospital bed, just like get this baby out of me. I have been here for years and that baby might pop out and have a beautiful long life. It might pop out and then go immediately to sleep. I have no idea, but like I'm ready for it to move on because I know there is a new baby that is more exciting and I'm ready to work on it. And thankfully I have that when I can like be working on it when the book is annoying me, I can work on this new book, a new baby that I'm really excited about. Uh, my mommy was in labor for 40 hours with me. So I think she can really relate to the push. To yeah. Um, Bridget, what are you most proud of? Um, I have to say I'm most proud of my book, Be Trouble. Uh, it came out last year, a month before the pandemic. I had a huge book release with so many people that would have been such a super spreader event if we were like aware of the pandemic. I'm so glad it wasn't, um, thank goodness. But uh, that's my most proud moment because I didn't, I didn't do anything to earn that. I was just writing and performing and sharing and a friend of a friend saw me in a bar in a bad mood and was like, do you have that manuscript? And I'm like, yeah. I sent it to him in my Google Drive doc. And then he sat next to me reading it during this poetry show. And I was like, you are embarrassing me. I, I feel very uncomfortable with you reading this next to me and like looking at me over the phone. This is very strange. And then when it was over, he was like, so what about spring 2020? And I was like, what do you mean? I was so confused. It took me a month to like give him like a, thank you for that. I was just such a bad mood. I was like, what are you talking about? It's just some poem. So um, I'm the most proud of Be Trouble than anything else. And, and besides that, I'm working on maybe, and y'all are hearing this maybe exclusively, I think I'm working on a textbook 
uh, for literature and writing that includes diverse people and things and it doesn't look like what we always read. So uh, that might be my second thing. My next baby, as Kyle would say, who's still barely a fetus. Like that baby is just a gleam in my eye right now, but maybe one day it'll come out. You'd be like, Bridget, the textbook writer. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so that's my next pick, creative production. Okay, you all have some amazing vibes going on, like all these opportunities, this publishing life happening. So um, I'm so glad that I chose you all to be on this panel. <laughs> um, Sarah, what are you most proud of? Um, I think my libretto work, just because it's so different from what I uh, generally do. And it's a space where like, I did um, an oratorio with this composer named Ellen Reed a few years ago, and um, it was about basically the new, the, the American dream of the new world um, across the South from the late 19th century to today. And it was so strange and like imperfect and big, but it was such a beautiful experience. Uh, we got to workshop it at UC Irvine and then the Los Angeles Master Corral performed it and then it played in New York. And um, I think just the way, the fact that like I was able to be a part of that is something I'm really proud of, but I'm also just like really proud of like the fact that um, when I was younger, I was so anxious and so neurotic and so scared and so obsessive and so crazy. And like, I was really embarrassed about the way that I was, but like all of that led here to where like, you know, I'm a lot calmer now, but I've also created a lot of stuff. So like, I wasn't that way for no reason, you know? Um, and in fact, it helped me out a lot. And I think just realizing that in the past couple of months as we're coming out of the pandemic and it's spring and like, um, I'm just really proud of that. I'm proud that I got through it and I'm proud that it led me here. Amazing, huge congrats to you all. You all deserve all the amazing things that are coming from your creativity. It's amazing to hear. And I hope there are many more things in your future that you're all proud of. Um, my last question is any departing gems of wisdom for a recent MFA graduate who may be looking for a job? And we'll start with Kyle. Ay, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, any words of advice? I would say two things is you're in your last semester, start of your last semester, start engage with the real world, like, or you should be engaged with the real world the whole time because you never know what's going to happen because of the program or not because of the program. So definitely have a dialogue with the real world, one foot out the whole time. But also like just keep writing. Like that's one thing and reading. Like that's one thing that I definitely have learned is just like, you know, it's really important to have your practice and to carve out that time because like working out, like whatever skill you have when you stop doing it or when you do it less, it becomes rusty and like you gotta like stay on it and like build your community, like really keep doing it. Otherwise it's gonna rust. Um, one thing I'd say too, and I say this all the time, so I, I feel like I might've harassed Kyle with this too. I don't know, I talked to your class a lot before I left Otis, but um, don't feel like the MFA itself is the ticket to a thing. It's the ticket 
to, to nothing. There's nothing that it's a ticket to. It's the skills and whatever you glean from that experience, those are your tickets. Those are your keys to the next thing, right? So even if you have an MFA in something and you never write that thing again professionally or personally, whatever the case is, what did you learn about yourself as a writer, as a student, as a person while in that program? What did you learn about the world around you? And then use those skills for that next thing. So if you're looking for a job, you can do anything, literally, right? So what skills did you get from that program that aren't just the books you read, right? And they aren't just the classes you took. The skills could also be the people you met and how you learned how to, you know, hustle and hobnob and talk to folks like that could be the skill. So I would say stay skill focused and start really valuing every tiny bit, every lesson, be it a good lesson or a, ugh, shouldn't have done that lesson, whatever it was, value every one of those moments and figure out how they can serve you when you go to that next thing, be it career or more education or hanging out at home, eating ice cream, writing your manuscript, whatever your next step is, what, what are those skills? For me, it was like being able to advocate for myself um, loudly and proudly and like ridiculously sometimes. And that made me a better teacher and a better writer all around. And I got that by being in a program where I was like, hey, do you see me? <laughs> and so I kind of kept that energy everywhere I went, right? And so um, whatever the skill is, stick with that skill and then really like value it and don't undermine it. Because as writers, we tend to say things like, well, I'm just, well, I just, I don't have, it's like, no, no, you've done, you, you are a writer, like number one, you knew that already. So you got the MFA because you already knew that. Um, so just value every one of those small skills and the big skills too. Um, I have three. I would say uh, one, if you get a job that you hate, you can quit. I mean, office jobs make some people literally suicidally depressed and I am one of them. It's okay to admit that. It's okay to quit and do whatever. Um, just get a job to pay the bills. You don't have to work in an office you hate. You never have to do that. You never have to do anything you hate because you only have one life. Um, the universe I think will meet you halfway if you're pursuing a dream, like just keep doing it. And I would say, say yes to opportunities. Like the way I got into writing librettos is through a random email from an editor at a magazine where I published and it wasn't even, you know, it was a tiny little magazine that nobody's ever heard of, but he happened to have this connection. And then through that, my first opera, I got a literary agent and that made me finish my book. And then that made me finish a second book. And you know, all, everything just builds. So say yes to opportunities, even if they seem strange and like take them seriously and do your best. And I would say, once you get a job, um, start a Roth IRA. And if you don't know what that is, look it up and contribute to it every month until you retire. Hell yeah, a little finance in there for us too. Um, thank you all so much for participating and sharing so much wisdom. It was such a pleasure to hear all of your experiences and learn a little bit more. You know, Kyle's a personal friend, but I got to learn so much more about Kyle that I didn't even know. So may all listeners enjoy similarly. Thank you all so much. This was great. I feel really inspired. Uh, I had a, I had a quite a bumpy road out of the MFA. Um, I left bookselling got my MA, came back to bookselling after some other problem, problematic attempts at jobs. 
Um, so it's it's really refreshing to hear about all of these different paths that um, you all have taken. Thank you so much for for sharing these these stories with our listeners and all this great advice. Um, I think this is a really useful resource. Uh, so I hope um, to all of our listeners out there, if you found something useful in this conversation, please share it. Please send it around to your friends. Um, use this as a tool to build that writing community that that you want to see. Um, and you know you can also reach out to Skylight Books, reach out to these authors if you like their work, um, buy their books, watch their shows, read their blogs, um, show up, you know, that's what it's all about. The LA Literary Community is, is open to you um, and we want you to come and see us and be part of it. So thank you all again for listening. Um, Rachel, thank you for a beautiful job moderating and great questions. Bridget, Sarah and Kyle, thank you so much for all of your answers and your time today. And um, everybody out there, keep reading, keep writing. We love you. We're here for you. <laughs> All right. Have a good night, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon.